I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Mark Carpenter with us, anthropologist, explorer, Arthur. A couple of his books are on his website, markacarpenter.com. He has worked on Mayan archaeological excavations on the Yucatan Peninsula. He has analyzed prehistoric Mexico. He spent years living alongside various Native American tribes and Polynesians in North America and Hawaii, studying their ancient traditions. And his expertise is of human origin paradigms, and he is considered a rogue cultural scholar, accusing the scientific establishment of conspiracy to distort human history. Mark, we're going to talk about that, but welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to this. How did you get involved in anthropology and archaeology? Well, um, it, it went back to my childhood. Um, like a lot of 80s kids, I, uh, I I thought Indiana Jones was a very cool character. And um, my father and uh, his family had some rural land out in Ohio, in the Ohio River Valley. And there were burial mounds out there, not on our land per se. Um, but, you know, when we used to drive through, mm-hmm. I was fascinated by these burial mounds. And my father didn't really have a satisfactory explana- explore, uh, explanation. So that's kind of where it all began. Fascinated ever since, haven't you? Yeah, I was hooked. I had to know. I had to know. Let's talk about the Smithsonian. Tell us about that. Is it kind of like a depository of all the old relics, or what? what is that place? Yeah, that's a good question. It masquerades as this beacon of education. That's what we've always been taught that it is, and that's, that's easy to believe because that's what we, we want it. We want it to be that. And, and it should be. Um, you know, a society like ours uh, should have that, um, but... That's not the reality. The, the reality is institutions like the Smithsonian, particularly the Smithsonian, were founded, um, you know, by elites 
the secret society, frat boy types. And uh, they were building a nation. They were building a nation, and um, what it really became, or what it really is, is a beacon of their version of human history. That they want um, us to learn and and, and, right. and think about. Yeah. They, they collect the they collect the artifacts and the remains and the and the art and the culture and 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 the relics and everything, uh, and they may draw their own conclusions behind closed doors, but as far as they're concerned, it's it, it's a it's a mechanism by which uh, the few control the many. Um, they like this divide of information and knowledge. Uh, they they think of it as their uh, their aristocracy. Aristocracy. Thank you. Their aristocratic privilege is what I was trying to say. What what That's was what it? Think. What was it, Mark, that got you to start thinking this way? You're not alone in this, by the way. But what was yeah, it that got I, you to think this, this way? My paradigm was lost. In in Mexico, what happened? In the Yucatan. Um, I was I was head first in to be a PhD, and uh, I, I was prepared to spend my life toiling in the jungles of Mexico to understand the Maya and their disappearance, or their alleged disappearance. Right. And um, oh, I I just I. It, like the uh, the dissolu- uh, disillusion tale of a film. I I found myself uh, my naivete was just shattered. Um, I I found that this was a rigid orthodoxy, and you were going to get in line or you were going to drown. And um, I I was obsessed. Um, I still am with Pakal and the Red Queen at the ancient Mayan site known as Palenque. And what I found there was a cover-up. Those remains are missing. Um, The DNA from Pakal and the Red Queen, and for anyone who's not familiar, Pakal and the Red Queen, uh, think of them as like the King Tut of of Mayan archaeology. Mm -hmm. These are rock stars of the Mayan archaeological world. Most important find in the history of Mayan archaeology, two pristine rulers' tombs discovered in burial chambers within pyramids. Well, why distort the information about them? That is, that is uh, such, a, such a priceless question. Why? Uh, to understand that question, we really have to go back uh, to, to what we were talking about before, the founding of institutions like the Smithsonian. And we need to understand how these institutions operate, who controls them, mm-hmm. the money, of course. And uh, in this case, we've got the INAH, which is the National Institute of Anthropology and History. They're essentially the Mexican... Smithsonian. They were uh, funding this dig dollar for, on a dollar for dollar matched basis with the Rockefeller Foundation. That's pretty extensive. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the Rockefeller Foundation and the Smithsonian and National Geographic and UNESCO, 
these are all tentacles of the same creature. Um, and so back to the question, why distort this? Well, because, uh, because it, it impacts the human history narrative. Which they, they, which they want us to believe their narrative. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. You see, there, uh, you can trace this back, a good crystallization of this. You can trace back to John D. Rockefeller. Uh, he essentially founded the uh, Board of Education. Uh, I believe this was 1910. It could have been 1901. I get the one and the zero mixed up. But when he did so, I forget what it was, a billion dollars, 300 million in, in, in 1901. And um, anyway, he said, he's, he's known for this quote, I, want, I don't want thinkers, I want workers. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to boil it down, that's, I think, the, the human history narrative is designed uh, to enslave the public. What would they want us to believe, Mark? Oh, well, they like their social Darwinist narrative that I think most people kind of in their hearts do believe, that we are the product of... Evolution? Uh, yeah, we are the product of... Now, that's a tricky business there, because it's, we're not, we're not going to discount all of evolution, but what we're really talking about there is the origin of species, which is a huge misunderstanding. Um. The point being that if humans believe, the public believes, that they are essentially animal and the product of this evolution and the the focus of their life really is what? Materialism then? Consumerism? Well, they like that just fine. And they would rather not tamper with that. And these discoveries most certainly would do that in the hearts and minds of people, hence why I am here on this program. Do they not want us to believe in God, Mark? They don't. They don't want us to believe in God. Um, They pretend like religious freedom is uh, important to them or to the nation, uh, but that's not the reality. That they would prefer, because you see, a public that is devoted to a deity. And mind you, this has nothing to do with what someone, what the reality is. It doesn't matter. You can, you know, we're not drawing any divisions here, but a public that is devout uh, in their religious beliefs, well, those, their deity and their beliefs then are the supreme authority in their hearts and minds. However, if they are reduced to animals, you know, worker bees in a colony, well, then the state authority is uh, essentially their god. Why would they care, Mark, what we believe? Mm, uh, Because they care about their delusional empires. Power is the the simple answer there. They uh, their uh, rule, their rule over the masses, and their 
their empire, which, by the way, again, is kind of a delusion. Uh, they, it doesn't really belong to them. They, they think it does because they control the money. Um, but so that's, yeah, they, they, um, they, they would just prefer our box, meaning our mental box, to be smaller, not larger. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started this program talking about the Kennewick man. Can you explain a little bit more about him and why you believe there could be a little controversy here? Yes. So Kennewick man, the reason I I, uh, wanted to begin with this is because Kennewick, there's been for years, many years now, and I'm sure you're very familiar with this, um, there's been rumors and claims of a Smithsonian conspiracy, as we said, to uh, distort human history. And most of these claims revolve around the early uh, 20th century, late 19th, early 20th century discoveries of um, abnormally large skeletons. Giants. Uh, on, giants. Yeah, right? yeah. Giants unearthed in the burial mounds, uh, just like the ones I was speaking of earlier, mm-hmm. uh, Marietta, the Ohio River Valley. Um, okay, so Kennewick Man is the proverbial smoking gun that proves definitively here and now a Smithsonian conspiracy to distort human history by way of concealing abnormal human remains. Where are the remains as we speak? The Kennewick man's remains, as we speak, were allegedly repatriated to a secret location uh, back near where he was discovered uh, by an indigenous tribe. Allegedly, a ceremony with 200 
uh, natives and some scientists allegedly repatriated these remains uh, back in Kennewick near where they were found, allegedly. You still think they're at the Smithsonian, don't you? I don't know. You know, they're, they're huh. so compromised. Um, they're so compromised. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they pulled some sort of uh, um, uh, scam there. Would this skeleton of Kennewick show us that he might have been a giant? Yes, I think so. Uh, they claim he was five foot seven, one hundred and sixty some odd pounds. Um, but I can prove definitively, and by their own evidence. Um, when, when, when the Kennewick controversy initially erupted, the Smithsonian, who likes to play hide-and-seek with these bones, was suddenly caught with their pants down. And there was a, like a nine-year court case over this and all that, wasn't yes, there? Yes, exactly. Because of the controversy between uh, the government, the scientists, and the Native Americans, there was suddenly mass media interest in these bones. Yeah, the Native American tribes claim those bones were theirs, right? Yes. Yes, they did. They, the, the Native Americans claim those are our bones and we want them repatriated under uh, the act. And uh, the government, you know, uh, was sort of playing tug of war with them. Interestingly, uh, the court ultimately ruled uh, that the U.S. Army Corps uh, did act in bad faith, and they ended up having to pay $2 million of the Native Americans' court costs. Uh, so they were, by, by way of legal precedent, they were lying uh, in court. Um, but, but anyway, uh, the point is, mass media like NPR and, and, and the Smithsonian, they were forced to reveal photographs of these bones because there was too much interest uh, by too many people who were not involved in any kind of conspiracy for them to play dumb like they normally do or, or just claim nonsense, right, with the older bones. Oh, they, those bones never existed, whatever. But everybody knew these bones existed. Was this a big story back in 96? It was. It was big. It was, it was international news because of the scientific weight of it, you see. Right. And, and so... Uh, they, when they would normally not like to reveal these bones to anyone ever, they suddenly found themselves, you know, being hounded by powerful media journalists demanding uh, photos of these bones that they know they have. And so, if you carefully examine now, now, the bone, the real bone photographs were quickly eclipsed by loads of photographs of replicas. Ah. Uh-huh. Now, they admit that they're replicas, but the trick is, the devil is in the detail. Those, the replica skull and skeleton is quite different than those original photos. If you examine those original photos carefully, what you discover is a radically deformed skull. And a large skull at that. A very, very large, deformed, very... I mean, I've seen a lot of deformed skulls in my day, and this is one of the most warped I've ever seen. Now, what makes and that so significant? Yeah, so the... Well, it's not just the warped skull. 
He all another more careful examination of the bones also reveals that he has five fingers on his right hand but no thumb, and he has the additional right. uh, uh, bones for a thumb. So he certainly had a thumb, and this would mean that he had six fingers. Six, and that would make him a polydactyl. Was that so common before, in that time period, nine thousand well, years ago? Well. I'll tell you where it is common, is it's common in ancient tradition in relation to uh, narratives regarding these hybridized giant species like the biblical Nephilim. Aha, okay. The book of Samuel specifically says... Cross between uh, man and angel, right? Correct, that's right. The Nephilim, for any who are not familiar, according to the narrative, were the hybridized offspring of uh, uh, non-human beings, angelic beings, if you like, watchers, many names for them. Um, And the daughters of men. Yes, thank you. And and, and they interbred with uh, mortals, uh, humans, and they created these uh, gigantic, uh, invasive uh, hybrids. And they were lawless and evil and um, uh, uh, cannibalistic. How tall would Kennewick Man be if we were able to get to that skeleton, in your opinion? Well, I, I, I could speculate. Now, I can't prove this, but what, what is interesting about the photo of the skeleton is that the entire photo is taken on a black surface. The bones are deliberately laid on a... Now, see, they did that on purpose. Because now you have no no, uh, no reference scale reference. That's right. That's good so point. there's really no telling. That thing could be huge. Uh, I suspect just, and this is pure speculation, but I, I would guess that he was probably well over seven feet. I would say he's between seven and eight uh, feet tall. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.